coming no okay i'm good sorry <laughs> i felt like a little thing okay what a tease i know and welcome back to butter with that a movies podcast where some friends from philadelphia come together and talk about all things movies i am connor and i am joined by my co-hosts dave and sam hello hello there hello <laughs> hello at the time of this recording it is stupid hot out probably the hottest week of the year they're saying uh, but as our friend Josh usually would say, uh, this is the coolest summer for the rest of our lives. Which I, I hate when he says lot. that. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it is ungodly hot. So I am happy that we are talking about a really fun movie, a movie that I enjoyed and I can't wait um, to get into. But before we talk about the movie that brings us together today, uh, aside from the heat, how, how are you guys doing? Have you guys watched anything new or caught up on anything? Tell me what you've been watching. If anything, the heat is everything. It's all encompassing. It's all I think about. It's too hot. I don't know. I, I, there's some really cool stuff uh, on the horizon for uh, Philly uh, as far as movie screenings and stuff like that go. And as far as this weekend goes, um, outside of Philly for me, I am going to be checking out, uh, you know, as long as I'm not uh, suffering from, you know, a uh, heat stroke or something to that effect on Sunday, as I understand that's going to be the rough day. I am going to be seeing uh, at the Mahoning Drive-In, a PA drive-in, which is uh, <clears throat> very well-respected and very cool, uh, a little bit closer to uh, where I grew up. Going to be uh, going with some of my coworkers to go check out a screening of the Blair Witch Project on the big screen, which I've never had the opportunity to do. I'm really excited. That's going to rule. Um, also coming uh, down the pike in Philly, there's some really cool stuff. Uh, the Philly Film Society is doing some really cool Screenings throughout this summer, I'm going to be checking out uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original from 1974 on the big screen, which is a bucket list movie for me to watch in the in a theater. Uh, also, uh, the first uh, two Mad Max movies. They're going to be playing all three of the first ones. Probably going to skip out on Thunderdome, but I'm definitely going to go see uh, Mad Max and uh, Mad Max Road Warrior. So I'm very much looking forward to those screenings soon. What monkey paw did you find that gave you all the films that you love so much to see in theaters within like a few weeks of each other? I don't know. It's like a five star summer. It's wild. Um, there's also, I mean, the thing is also coming to uh, to the boars, I think, and that's another one that I would love to check out. So yeah, just all the uh, all the five star movies. I'm going to be going and seeing them in theaters in rapid succession over the course of August. So that's going to rule. Oh, that's amazing! I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, I'll look it up and see because some of those I'd like to see too. Sam, how about you? It's hot. You been watching anything hot? Uh, yes. So I've been watching the show called Blackbird on Apple Plus. It stars Taryn Edgerton, who we all know that I love. Uh, I watched the first episode all the way through, and then maybe the second one. Um, it's interesting. Taryn's accent is all over the place, which I'm like very shocked by. And it's like kind of taking me out a little bit. It, it's gotten better as the show has gone on. Um, but I think it's just starting to get very, very interesting. The premise is um, it, it's based on a, a true story. 
And the the character that Taryn or the person that Taryn is portraying is a guy who was uh, basically like selling drugs, had a ton of weapons in his home, got caught, got sentenced to 10 years in prison. And about like nine or so months into his prison sentence, he gets an offer that's like, hey, we know you're charismatic. You could be friends with anybody. We want you to transfer to this prison, buddy up with this guy and get him to tell you where he buried like 14 bodies. So I'm looking forward to more of it. And other than Blackbird, my roommates and I have been watching this show called Haunted Towns. Um, I don't believe in ghosts, but I want them to be real. And so I love when my roommates are very excited about any kind of ghost program. And this particular one, I think, is out of all the ones we watch, probably the most well done. Um, the guys like don't overreact about stuff. They are actually like very kind and polite when they're speaking to spirits, quote unquote. Uh, so I can't say 10 out of 10, but I'm enjoying the episodes. They did a Cape May one that we watched, Gettysburg and then Salem. If you're bored, check them out. Nice. Awesome. Two, two different picks. Yeah. Oh, and also really quickly, uh, speaking of Taryn Edgerton, I uh, did have the privilege of going to see Elton John perform live here in Philadelphia. It was the last show in Philly at Citizens Bank Park, and it ruled uh, went with my folks and my sister. We all had a really great time. Uh, heard all the songs that I wanted to hear, including, uh, of course, uh, our mutual favorite Sam, Funeral for a Friend slash Love's Lives Bleeding. Uh, he played uh, Levon, which I really wanted to hear. And he played uh, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, during which uh, the three screens had these uh, great uh, like montages of, uh, of scenes with Edgerton from the film uh, Rocket Man. So it was very fun. Nice, nice little tie-in to a former episode. I'm insanely jealous, and that is incredible. so incredibly cool. It was so great. <laughs> I have two things that have people have been anticipating me to watch and to finish. Uh, the first one is I finished Kenobi, a Star Wars show about Obi-Wan Kenobi. I watched the first three episodes, and then life got busy, so I finished it this past weekend, and I thought it was really good. Um, whenever you're getting close to the original trilogy, getting close to classic characters... Uh, things can go wrong, but I thought that the series um, was pretty thoroughly a home run. Pacing iffy here or there, but overall, I was incredibly happy um, when the show ended. And maybe there'll be a season two. I don't know. If Hayden and Ewan want to do it, who, who am I, Connor Feeney, to say no? And then probably several listeners are going to be thrilled when I mention this, but I and <laughs> one of our co-hosts, but I finished Spice World. Started and watched it. Yes. Um, this was the next iteration of the Beetlejuice dilemma where I had Beetlejuice for a long time. Sam, you told somebody I had it for three years. Whoa, I never said three years. I <laughs> Is that like accurate? Six months. It was like a nine, yeah, six to nine months, I think, was the time I had it. You still have my copy of The Master. That's I about know. three years. That's about two, I think. Yeah, or I guess we recorded in person. So it might yeah, be longer. I don't know. Who said three years? That's ridiculous. I need to I need to find their source because I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> but Spice World, kind of Sam, you said I can't give it a 10 out of 10, but it was fun. It's kind of how I feel about Spice World. It's not a good movie, but I had a lot of fun watching it uh, with friends. Um, Aliens, Richard E. Grant, Thomas Moore, 
Um, I and I knew nothing about the Spice Girls except that they were a music group, so I learned a lot. Yeah, so I thought eh, Spice World maybe it'll pop up one day on the podcast. Uh, who knows? I don't it's know. Also, it's a fun movie for sure. I'll say. Yeah, no, interesting '90s kind of time capsule. All right, well, let's dive into our new theme. So, as we're all melting in our apartments and in our homes, we are thinking about the coolness of the movie theaters. Uh, definitely a favorite summer activity for everybody on the pod and lots of people in America. This new theme is movies we've seen in the theaters twice, or I guess maybe more, um, perhaps. And so today I am bringing the Bob's Burgers movie, which is a very new release, came out about a little over a month ago. Um, so I think this is right near the lighthouse for a film that we've did a deep dive on very close to release. So it's always fun to talk about newer movies um, and especially a movie that I think is really, really good, a whole lot of fun. And I'm really excited to dive deep into it and also into this theme as well and to talk about what draws us to the theater time and time again. So for folks who don't really know what the Bob's Burgers or movie or what even Bob's Burgers is, um, it's a Fox animated show that began in... Uh, 2011 and has been running for 12 seasons and 238 episodes. Uh, 10 Emmy nominations for Outstanding Animated Program and two nominations for Vocal Talent as well. So critically acclaimed series. Um, Within the past two years, it's really become a show that I've started watching and have really fallen in love with. So relatively new find for me. Uh, And so I was excited when I heard that the movie was going to be a thing. Uh, and overall, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, pretty much the whole team from the show worked on the movie. Uh, it was directed by Lauren Bouchard and Bernard Derryman. The screenplay was also by Bouchard and Nora Smith, based on Bob's Burgers by Lauren Bouchard, starring H. John Benjamin, Dan Mintz, Eugene Meerman, Larry Murphy, John Roberts, Christian Shaw, Zach Galifianakis, and Kevin Klein. So all the main casts from the show came to the movie. Um, before we dive any deeper, I just wanted to ask, what are my better co-hosts? What is your connection to Bob's Burgers kind of going into this movie? And was this everyone's first time seeing it kind of in prep for the podcast? And did you see it in theaters? Um, I like Bob's Burgers. I think I've seen the first two or three seasons, really enjoyed them, but I'm terrible with watching TV. So I'll be like, yeah, I love it. I'm super interested. And then I'll never watch it again. But it's not to say that I don't like it or that it's bad. It's just like I have such a short attention span. So what I saw of Bob's Burgers, I really like. And then I saw this on HBO Max. And I'm glad it was on there. I thought it was only on Hulu. So I was glad that I didn't. Because I don't have Hulu anymore. So I'm glad it was there. And um, Connor, I'm really glad that you had us watch this. I enjoyed it a lot. Always happy to hear that, especially from Sam. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, my roommate was like, all right, Connor Connor redeemed himself a little. I feel like we need a new segment where what did your roommates think? I'll <laughs> a, always, a quick, a quick 15-second segment. <laughs> and an animated comedy, no less, uh, which, Sam, I know is a uh, cocktail that you're normally not as fond of. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, see, when things are good, I like them. Well, I've been following Bob's Burgers for a long time. I think um, 
I remember seeing uh, ads for it, like uh, little promo spots on TV a long time ago uh, before I started watching the show and saw like a lot of like, you know, Gene making fart noises on his keyboard or Linda dropping her pants and thinking to myself like, well, this looks like a pretty lowbrow kind of uh, crass comedy that's probably not very interesting. Uh, so I left it alone. And then it was, I guess, around 2014 that a friend of mine really turned me on to it. I started watching some of the show with them and I really kind of immediately tumbled into falling in love with the, with the show. I would say I followed it up until around like season eight. So I'm a little out of touch, but um, all those seasons I've watched all the way through multiple times. So very big fan of the show. Uh, as a matter of fact, a coworker of ours and, and I will uh, occasionally, if we're bored, try to stump each other with Bob's Burgers trivia. So <clears throat> big fan. It's got uh, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of rent-free space in my head. Um, I've been looking forward to the movie for a long time because it was announced, I forget, like I want to say 2019. Was 2017 was it 2017 it was announced okay yeah so it's been in yeah it's been stewing for a long time <clears throat> and um you know similar to like the simpsons movie for example i had been um sort of like a little bit suspicious of, uh, of how it would work out in long form uh how well these characters and these themes and these uh ideas and uh, the the charm and and warmth of the show would transition into a larger uh a larger piece and uh, the Simpsons stuck the landing pretty well, I'd say. Uh, I think this surpasses that in a way. I think it's very, it's a very good movie. Um, I, I, I didn't think it was great. I think there was some stuff as a very big fan of the series that's a little bit lacking. But uh, on the whole, it definitely delivers the the warmth and charm and uh, and character pathos that the series is known for. Uh, additionally, also a real quick note, uh, Lauren Bouchard is someone I've had, kept my eye on for a long time. I guess it would have been probably like 2004 or so when I started watching a series called Home Movies, which I actually have a stick and poke tattoo uh, commemorating. Fantastic show that he was the co-creator of, along with uh, Brendan Small, who went on to do Metalocalypse. A really funny, very conversational show. And Bob's Burgers also has uh, Jim Dotrieve, I believe is his name. He was one of the EPs on King of the Hill. So Bob's Burgers, for those interested, uh, or for those uninitiated, is a pretty graceful merger of the conversational humor of something like home movies, but with deep ensemble character development that you would get from something like King of the Hill. Both of them great shows. So uh, on the whole, yeah, Bob's Burgers is a, is a stew of really great creators and, and really interesting and talented people who uh, really brought their chops to uh, to making this movie in a lot of really satisfying ways and uh, some minor, less satisfying ways that I'm sure we'll discuss. But I, I really liked it. Dave, you did such a great job of doing my hosting job for me of talking about why Bob's Burgers the show is <laughs> such a great show. So thank you. Yeah, I think the show is fantastic. And uh, you guys have covered quite a few different angles that I wanted to talk about. TV show to movie, animated feature length film, um, transitioning the show onto the big screen, the characters, the ensemble. So all of that uh, we're going to get into. But before we dive any deeper, I want to give everybody just a brief little plot synopsis. This is uh, largely taken from IMDb. But it's, a pretty, it's a pretty long plot, actually, too. It's really involved at a certain point. It is. Yeah, I'm interested to see the summary. That'll be cool. <laughs> when a ruptured water main creates an enormous sinkhole right in front of Bob's Burgers, blocking the entrance to the restaurant, the Belchers' plans for a successful summer are seemingly ruined. When Bob and Linda struggle to keep the business afloat, the kids try to solve a mystery that could save their family's restaurant. As the danger mounts, these underdogs help each other uh, find hope and fight to get back behind the counter where they belong. thought that was a pretty uh, funny 
synopsis. It feels like appropriately punny for Bob's Burgers a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm, for sure, for sure. So, yeah, Dave, you brought up that this is a pretty pretty complicated film. There's a lot of moving pieces, but we can sort of boil it down to two main plots. Uh, we have Bob, Linda, and Teddy trying to keep the business afloat. Uh, Bob and Linda... They, they have not been making payments on their loans. The family is constantly in financial struggles. And if they don't make this one loan payment, then the bank comes and will repossess their kitchen equipment. And so they're trying to you know, raise the money, sell all these burgers. So that way they can pay this. Just the first loan payment is really what the movie tackles. Not paying off the whole loan, just one loan payment, uh, which feels very Bob's Burgers. Yeah, the Belgians have been living month to month for the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, the kids are trying to solve this murder whodunit uh, because, spoiler alert, a body's found after the water main erupts. They think it's Mr. Fishoder, who's their landlord. And so they try to exonerate him, prove that he is innocent and surmount all of these obstacles. So those are sort of the two main plots that we have in Bob's Burgers. Uh, and so I thought that would just be a really good place to start. What did we think of these sort of two, you know, the A plot and the B plot, Bob, Linda, Teddy? And then the kids with sort of the murder mystery element, because for a lot of the movie, uh, these two forces are separated until they come together uh, in the third act. So just kind of initial thoughts on the move, the plot of the movie and kind of what happened in it, these two plot lines. I think that the, the kids plot was super interesting, very fun. I mean, it's basically like true crime. So of course I'm going to love it. And I think that, it has my one of my like how many songs are in this movie? I think there's five songs in the movie. Um, I believe so. Yeah. The this plot brings about one of my favorite songs, which is the one that the Carnies and Louise sing. And um, the the Linda, Bob, and Teddy was a little boring, I'm not gonna lie. I think it's heartwarming. Uh, you know, especially Teddy baking the cart for them to to sell the burgers elsewhere. But I don't know. I was just like, solve the murder. That's interesting. I swung the other way. I um, I, I love I love uh, Bob, Linda, and Teddy banter. I think that they're they're a really well balanced trio, uh, as are the kids, frankly. But uh, I think that maybe because true crime doesn't pique my interest as much, or like those sort of like. Uh, whodunit plots uh, aren't, aren't normally something that really draw me in. I felt that one of the four, five songs uh, in the picture, the, the I think it's like the third, um, sung by Grover Fishoder, the cousin of the brothers Fishoder, the uh, sort of like villainous scoundrels of the town. Um, and spoiler alert, it winds up that Grover is uh, sort of the perpetrator of this, uh, this whodunit. Uh, when it gets into the weeds with that song, that's when I started feeling things really slow down because it's a lot of details. And I, I don't mind detailed plots, but it's just sort of like, it, it's it's not what I go to this show for. Um, and also, I love David Wayne. He's a great comedic actor. Uh, he did a great job directing Wet Hot American Summer, which I'm sure we'll talk about someday. I love that movie as well. But yeah, I like uh, just, just something about, I guess, the characterization or or just the fact that he... And like it's intentional that David Wayne can't really sing very well, so it's funny that he gets his own number. But I, I, I felt uh, things slow down quite a bit when I got to that that sequence, uh, that parlor scene where he's sort of like doing the exposition dub of the backstory of this crime. So that slowed it down a little bit for me. I think everything else was really uh, pretty revved up and pretty good. But I, I, when we get into the weeds of the who done it, I it started to 
uh, my attention started to wane a little bit. I think I have a hard time. Just, I, I think I agree with like both of what you guys are talking about. I think both of the plots are pretty strong. And I, I'm a huge Louise fan. Like Louise might be probably my favorite character. That's not a controversial opinion at all. Um, but of course, yes, yeah, Sam, of course, I see that. I, I think while, I mean, you only have about 90 minutes to give characters who we love, characters who we've seen for over a decade. So I think it's kind of natural that Tina and Gene, their character lines of Gene wants, he has this napkin spoon instrument that he wants to play and be a successful musician. Uh, Tina wants um, Jimmy Jr. to be her summer boyfriend. Um, and so it's like, I feel like I, I love, I, I enjoyed kind of like the murder mystery element. And at the end of the day, like the whodunit didn't really matter. It's more like the journey that we went on. And I think because Louise's plot was so strong of where she's called a baby because she doesn't you know, want to do this, like, you know, fall off the jungle gym thing. Cause she's scared her hat. You know, that these bullies say that, Oh, your hat's going to fall off. You're such a baby. Um, and it was a unique position. I think to see Louise really on the defensive, which we get right away in the opening number um, where every character kind of gets their moment. Bob and Linda are preparing for the bank. Uh, Bob has diarrhea, but that doesn't matter. Linda says, um, <laughs> And then Louise is like, she has a stern facade, but underneath, uh, incredibly delicate and fragile. And so I really enjoyed the kids' plot exploring this kind of element of Louise that we just don't get the time for a lot of the time in the show. Really satisfying details uh, with Louise's journey. I'm glad that she was kind of this central focus because this movie has a difficult task. It has to introduce newcomers to the series and establish these characters while also satisfying diehard fans. And I think it does a pretty good job because Louise... There, there are definitely episodes that explore her, like the depth of her character, a lot. But like, it's this is a really revealing one. Um, so to make her the central focus of of uh, at least this uh, this a plot, I think was a really smart choice. And for those uh, uninitiated, yeah, L- Louise Belcher, uh, the youngest of the Belcher clan, uh, does have these this hat which has rabbit ears on it, and she wears it constantly. Um, so it's it's kind of a big deal. It's always been a big mystery what the origin of that is and what it means to her. And it turns out that it's uh, her kind of her source of self-confidence, uh, a feeling of bravery that uh, roots back to childhood. Uh, at least she thinks so until the film takes some interesting turns. So really cool to explore that and uh, and give that space to become something revelatory, not only about her character, but also about Bob's mom, uh, which is, is a character that hasn't been seen or really developed too much throughout the series. Yeah, uh, young Bob, the cutest thing. Holy <laughs> shit. I think I'm glad we are touching on this now because I just made a little list of um, some highlights of the movie for me and seeing Bob's mom was one. I mean, that's a great reveal for the theatrical um, release you know, version of Bob's Burgers. Like making a movie, this is the payoff for fans, for longtime fans. And if you don't know, if you've only seen a few episodes and you probably never even thought about that this character has been, you know, is missing, you know, just isn't in the show at all. We meet Bob's dad a handful of times um, and he plays a pretty crucial part in some episodes, but his mom is just, you know, is not around in the show. So I thought that was a really, I mean, I, I teared up <laughs> for sure. I thought that was like, really, too, yeah. a really incredible moment. And I think that moment ties into why, one reason why I saw it twice in theaters. Um, I think this movie Following the, there's, it's, um, we brought up how detailed and how rich this movie is. Uh, I think both in characterization and plot, uh, in the animation itself and the little side gags and behind the scenes and just being in a $38 million version of a Bob's Burgers episode. 
um, just the level of detail that can exist. And so I think kind of thinking about these plots and going in and enjoying the time with these characters drew me to see it a second time. I saw it with the same group of people twice. We saw it for the first time on opening weekend. Uh, very excited. This was on all of our calendars. Um, for my one friend, I um, one present for her birthday is I make a calendar in Shutterfly. And so uh, this year I made oh. it a Bob's Burgers calendar um, because like, taking, you know, screenshots for episodes and Google images. And then because the movie was this year and that's her favorite show. So uh, that was on the calendar, every calendar, solid opening weekend. And then I think it was two weeks later, we just, we didn't really have anything to do in an evening. And so we're like, do you want to see Bob's Burgers again? And we're like, hell yeah, mm-hmm. let's do it. Uh, and both times the theater was pretty uh, solidly filled even a couple weeks after release. Now that's interesting because I heard this movie sort of tanked. You know, that... So when doing kind of, you know, of course, I'm the box office guy, like doing the research from the box office, I have an interesting kind of excerpt from Wikipedia here. So a budget was about 38 million. It grossed 31.4 million worldwide, which I think outside of kind of this new era of film releasing that we're in would be a huge flop. Uh, But Deadline reported that apparently uh, 1.1 million people watched it over its opening weekend compared to the 1.3 million regular viewers of the television series. So if that's just mm-hmm. in the first weekend, kind of adding on that, plus releases on HBO Max and Hulu, and the film earned $15 million in its first four days, and it was only expected to earn $10 million at the box office opening weekend. So I guess a flop, but in this new age where you know Disney now owns Fox... So the Belchers are a Disney family now, which is kind of funny. Um, I think this can have legs and put it right up there with the show on Hulu or HBO, right where the show lives. And I think this will pay dividends for people who subscribe to these various services where it's on. That's interesting. I'm so glad you shared that story, Connor, because, you know, this is why this is why movies matter. This is why going to the theater is always going to be fun and it's never going to die because it just brings so many people together and it just creates such a like some of the best memories I have are going to the movies with my friends on opening weekend or midnight releases. So I'm glad you shared that. And I am also glad that you picked this because I am a sucker for anything that has very, very strong family characters and character um, driven plot. So it's always fun watching movies like that. And um, I think that the, the plot of Louise being like called a baby and her being like very insecure and so and um self-conscious about that it's just so fascinating because we've all well i don't want to speak for everybody but i've had that happen to me before where people are like oh you're just like a little baby you're a little coward and that has made me do things where i'm like maybe i will walk into traffic maybe i will do this maybe i will do that thing and i just think it's really funny that um the very first thing that she does after being like I'm not a baby. I am brave. And she falls into the sinkhole and then discovers a body in the most disgusting way. It She just like accidentally pulls it out, trying to climb out of the sinkhole. And then the teeth fall into her mouth. Oh my God. I've been thinking about that almost nonstop. It's I couldn't crazy. find anything on it, but it reminded me of Poltergeist, the end of Poltergeist uh, with the skeletons in the pool. I, I got a, I got big Poltergeist vibes from that. It's also a little bit of a Simpsons. Uh, the Simpsons have kind of done this uh, storyline, uh, at least that part of it. 
But uh, as South Park has aptly pointed out, one of the probably seldom times I'll agree with the show South Park is they pointed out uh, pretty aptly that, you know, the, the Simpsons have been around for fucking 30 years. They've done everything. Shut up. So, like, it doesn't really matter. My big gripe is that uh, this episode, this movie does kind of something that a two-part episode of the show does uh, earlier into the series, which is a little bit disappointing. But at any rate, uh, yeah, that seems really great. And I do love Louise's, uh, Louise's arc. I especially love how big a deal, like, within, like, the, you know, the politics of, like, this elementary school playground, how big a, how big a deal it is to be called a baby. I think what Bob's Burgers does really well is uh, makes ordinary stakes feel huge. I think that's a real strength of the show. And I, you know, a lot of kind of, you know, family kind of sitcoms as well and animated shows. But I think Bob's Burgers really excels at that, you know, being called a baby, like this is the main driving force. Like you have this dramatic explosion of the street uh, as like your inciting incident for the plot. But then the real emotional arc is like somebody is scared and it's called a baby and has to try to find inner courage. It's a really great, like big world changing event for this family and then inner character development. It's like a really great pairing that I think just really makes this movie have an incredibly strong plot and worth rewatching. Like it's definitely worth seeing twice. I've actually, uh, I'm sure before the year is out, I'll watch it another time or two. Um, Cause it's just really incredibly rewarding on rewatch for all the small details. And a really great, like, cross-character, like, theme. Like, uh, this sense of doubt. Like, Bob mm-hmm. doubting the business. Tina uh, coming to doubt her affections for uh, Jimmy Jr., whether or not the manufactured reality via her erotic friend fiction and her visions with Jericho the horse uh, will match up with reality. Uh, Gene second-guessing whether or not he's, he's talented enough to hold a crowd's attention. And, of course, Louise, uh, kind of the, the principal one, uh, doubting whether or not she is indeed brave. Uh, if the thing that gives her bravery is a symbol to other people that she is uh, a baby, you know, thoughtful stuff, which I, good stuff. Which ties into Grover, and I think doubt and dream kind of work back and forth in this, mm-hmm. where Grover, who's our villain, has been doubted by the Fish Odor family his whole life. And so he has this dream to like have this mega park because uh, the Wonder Wharf is like the kind of boardwalk dumpy minimal decapitations over its 80 year career, which is <laughs> impressive crazy, to yeah. everybody in the town. And so I think it's really, yeah, cross theme with the villain, with the hero, dreaming and doubting. And then really Grover feels like a path that Louise could go down of like, instead of holding it in, she's trying to like, and and the family is set up so where she can explore these themes in a safe environment and her community as well, helping to like, not to get too deep into the Bosbergers, you know, but like the community, you know, these kids are really helped raised by the community as these parents struggle to keep the business afloat. And so Louise is in the supportive community to explore these feelings where it seems like Grover never had the opportunity to. He was always put to the side and had uh, butts sit on his sandwiches. <laughs> and while an established murderer, like, you know, this <clears throat> this film, this series, almost like uh, like when we talked about the Muppets, like this isn't a series that's interested in villainy. Like, it's interested in flawed characters, but they're all people. Like, there's not evil in this world, which is great. It's refreshing. And then I love how Grover, too, is like, well, I'm not evil, but I'm feeling evil today. (laughs) It's like really, like, hamming it up, like, letting, taking those moments to, like, well, I'm just going to be evil because I want to. And this is an animated show, animated movie. And I think all of that was a whole lot of fun. So I guess real quick, let's touch on the fish odors, because I guess... I mean, I forgot that Grover was in the show. I think he's in one or two episodes. So it's like, oh, of course that this character who we've never really seen, he's probably going to be the bad guy because I doubt that they would put Mr. Fishoder or Felix Fishoder in jail and 
fuck up the whole continuity of the show and never have the <laughs> my thought too especially when the stakes are murder like you know you can't really do what that to one of your like key characters if the heart is supposed to be a resident in all characters although it even is with grover in the end uh to a degree but like yeah it's a little high stakes for our uh, our series regulars and I, I did enjoy the chance to get to know the kind of fish odor family dynamic because usually it's Mr. Fish Oder does something crazy, invites Bob into the craziness. Bob helps resolve whatever crazy situation Mr. Fish Oder is in. Um, so therefore, there's some repetition with them. So it's kind of fun to get like a different perspective, a glimpse into the family. Uh, I think Zach Galifianakis is hilarious as Felix. Felix is one of my favorite characters in the show. And I think it's, it was really great, I think, to give a lot of time to the Fish Oders to kind of explore them since in the show it's, you know, they kind of get one episode and then you don't kind of see them for a while. So I thought it was great to kind of go in depth with these characters who are side-ish characters. Their hideout in the molehill is the fucking coolest thing. Um, But it also like deeply concerned me to think about. So they have, uh, was it like a mermaid or something that they like twisted the nipples and it opened up? Like Neptune, King Neptune Mm -hmm. or something? And then they were able to just like pop through everything on the boardwalk. I was like, what if there actually is something like that and people use it? So like it definitely started me on like conspiracy theory, tin hat kind of thing, but uh, super cool. Would love to have a hideout like that someday. And what it leads to the whole under pier sequence, the pier beneath the pier and this big chase that eventually takes place Um, with the animation that that gets really interesting too, uh, which is I'm sure something we're going to talk about. Dave, once again, you did my job for me. You gave me the perfect lobby to talk about the animation. Another highlight, I think, of the Boz Burgers movie. Um, obviously, the Boz Burger show is a show on network television. Uh, so it's not, you know, something that has HBO level budget. It's a show that looks great. And I think as the years have gone on, um, has had some really amazing looking episodes. But, you know, each episode doesn't have a $38 million budget like this movie did. So I just want to get your thrones. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's no Game of Thrones or Stranger Things. But I was really blown away by the animation, uh, especially the use of shadow, I thought was incredibly impressive. And then this movie, I, I guess another point too to tie in is kind of reminded me of like the Rugrats movie. Dave, you already brought the Simpsons movie a few times. There's quite a few t- animated shows that have gone to the big screen. And I think Bob's Burgers uh, is the best looking of them and also keeping incredibly consistent with the show itself partially because i think also this was hand-drawn like the show yeah it doesn't make the mistake that the simpsons movie made which uh does look good but it doesn't look like the show uh this it doesn't necessarily look like the show necessarily either but it doesn't not look like it in the way that that did it's hard to explain like it's just an enhanced level of detail which is just, you know, what you would do with a bigger budget. You can fund animation a little better. You can uh, afford that it has a little bit more uh, detail, a little bit more, uh, uh, at times, grit, a little bit more, uh, at times, a little bit more showiness. I mean, I appreciate uh, a lot that, like, this is a, there's a lot of, like, uh, you know, the wet streets in this movie. It's like a Michael Mann movie. But, uh, but just, like, you know, the reflection of, like, things uh, in the street and everything, uh, the enhanced sort of like rendering as far as color and shadow connor as you've mentioned it it feels like an appropriate elevation of the show and its style without uh becoming distracting in a way that makes it feel like it's something other than the show in in the way that the simpsons movie kind of failed a little bit especially as regards uh the stuff that isn't hand-drawn i mean there is some like uh 
<clears throat> some obviously like digitally rendered stuff in this movie, but it, it feels a little more, uh, a little more balanced and a little bit more at home in this world than it did in, in other hand drawn to uh, digitally enhanced animated things that I've seen throughout the years. Yeah. One effect that I think I was particularly impressed with was the, uh, the nightlight of how that glowed. And that was, it, that was interesting seeing it. So I saw it twice in theaters and then once at home prep for the podcast. And it was just interesting to see on the big screen uh, that I thought the lighting effects were so impressive, which is why I'm really glad I saw it in theaters. So it was interesting at home where things just kind of felt a little darker. Maybe that was the TV, but over, like I thought that just that night effect, whenever that flickered on or flickered off, I thought was like a really impressive uh, effect. That's one. Yeah. That one's uh, I feel conflicted about because when she's down in the hole in front of the restaurant and is discovering this thing and it becomes like an element of horror and is flashing on and off in a way that accentuates and, and deepens that uh, emotional dread for that character. That's really great stuff. Like really thoughtful use of light in, in spite of it being, you know, an animated property. <laughs> Or, you know, in terms of its strength as an animated property. But um, some of the stuff later on when they're, like, trapped in the car underground uh, and the nightlight's doing that, maybe it was just my – yeah, it could have just been my TV, but it was, like, way too dark when the light wasn't on. So there, it was up and down in the, on that front. But uh, the attention to detail I really appreciate. One detailed area that I just was glad that I saw a few times was you see all the signs in Bob's Kitchen – like a choking, you know, how to like, like a um, prevent choking or CPR, like or a Heimlich maneuver, safety signs, little drawings that the kids made over the years. Um, it's like just so cool that this team got about three years. Seems like the movie was pretty much done by like January of 2021. And then, you know, it was supposed to be summer of 2020. Then it got delayed. And so it's, it sounds like it was wrapped up generally by January 2021 and then just kind of shelved until uh, the summer. And so it's just cool what a team can do of like talent instead of kind of turning around 20 episodes pretty quickly, having a couple years to uh, really hone a vision for a 90 minute feature. Yeah, that time really paid off. Any other highlights of the movie, little jokes or bits or other moments that you guys enjoyed? One small moment that terrified me and still does is when Grover climbs through the vents. Like we're recording this on Zoom, so our listeners can't see, but his arms are and legs are like moving up and down like a scary spider person. It's only like two seconds, but uh, I like we all gasped uh, in the theater when it happened. Like, oh my god, like something out of and it feels like something out of like Alien or something like that. That's a great little highlight. Yeah, it's funny because like uh, as a Bob's Burgers fan, I can I can quote the show to no end, but like. There's very few things that, like, have having seen it once that really, like, pop out of my mind as principal gags, stuff that really made me laugh out loud. I mean, there were definitely moments that uh, that happened, but I don't remember them offhand. I'm probably going to have to watch it again. Although there was one that would really sit out for me, which is uh, uh, when the kids are trapped in this, uh, the Wonder Wharf hideout uh, with, with uh, the fish odors. And uh, they come down the slide and uh, they just show up there without explanation. It's like, wait, how did you guys get here? And it cuts back to like a couple of moments ago with uh, Linda just walking up to this like contraption, just being, oh, buttons! And just frantically pressing them. <laughs> that one really got me. And most of my laughs throughout the series have come from Linda. So uh, I would say that uh, no no argument here. It's uh, They carry that through really well. Yeah, I was definitely laughing throughout. And it's hard to kind of pick one thing or another however so there's a moment where there's like a a car chase and it ends back up to the the belchers back to the sinkhole and the belchers in their car get to the bottom of the sinkhole and then 
what's his name? Uh, Grover. Grover. Thank you. I'm like, Griffer? Who the fuck is Griffer? Anyway, <laughs> Grover is in his uh, <laughs> crab car and he's pushing dirt into the sinkhole and he's like i'm just a little crab just doing what crab does blah 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 blah. and like i don't remember if i laughed or not when that happened i might have like let out a chuckle but the very next day my roommate had been cleaning our cat's pan and accidentally like the bag ripped and there was like a shit ton of litter uh just litter like in a mound and she was pushing it over the edge and she was like i'm just a little crap do a crap like oh my god it was so perfect that's hilarious i love that one other small moment that really got me uh is when they're driving through the under pier and then their clam car which i love the clam car uh runs over this huge collection of carousel horses to <laughs> tina's absolute horror why why uh, why 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 why, why? <laughs> Uh, I love Tina too. She doesn't get a whole lot of play in this movie, but to be fair, there are so many Tina focused episodes of the show. Uh, she's I the kid that definitely gets the most focus and plots in the show, at least in my opinion. Uh, and so yeah. she did get probably, that's probably the biggest laugh um, out of music <laughs> when they're running over all the horses. I think it's definitely uh, worth a rewatch. And I think, cause I think it is such a plot focused movie that as you watch it more and you're like, you know, the whodunit, okay, like, you know, that kind of like doesn't matter as much now that you know and see the whole plot, then it's really rich and lots of really great character moments. But I feel like, Dave, you brought up earlier, and this was probably the most common criticism. Generally, the movie was very well received by fans and kind of like industry folks, but they are missing a lot of the ensemble, which I'm conflicted about. Because in a season, you have a whole season, you know, 22 episodes or such to explore the whole town and communities and all these people, their friends, the other adults. So it's like, I guess I'm glad in a movie that they focused on really just the family. But it's sort of like, do you pick the fish odors? Do you pick the other children at school? Do you like what group of people do you pick to focus on for 90 minutes? So I thought the fish odors were a great pick, but I definitely was missing the rest of the ensemble, which gets very little like Linda uh, Gale. Linda's sister, not in the movie at all, mm-hmm. uh, which you could have a whole movie with Gail. So I think that's, it's sort of tough. It must've been tough to choose. Like what's the plot going to be? What characters do we bring in? And since it's only about 90 minutes, some characters have to hit the chopping block. So any thoughts on kind of missing characters or the story choices that had to be made really early on, or just kind of thoughts on the structure of the characters brought into the movie? I think that's why for me it's a criticism because like, yeah, I do think it's necessary to scale down one's attention in terms of dividing a plot among even the family is just five five characters. You've got a lot of work to do. It doesn't leave a lot of room for ensemble cameo and and stuff like that because you you need to propel the story. Uh, You need the narrative in particular. You need to uh, highlight the characters both for the central characters, both for diehard fans and newcomers. So it's it's a a difficult thing to do. But so much of the show, so much of the richness of the show is the community and and the talents of the various voice actors who embody these characters. So I think it falls a little bit short of satisfying what I love. I, I, well, one of the things that I love the show for and one of the things that I most recognize it as being really groundbreaking for. So in that sense, I did feel that was lacking. I don't necessarily consider it a problem because the story must go on, but it's one of those things where 
yeah, I think you could have brought some additional like flavor and highlights to a story this complex and, and still balanced uh, an introductory and a simultaneously introductory and winning consistent uh, presentation of the core characters. Uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't hold it against the movie necessarily because it has to be a movie. But uh, if it's going to be a Bob's Burgers movie, I do feel that that element is missing a little. I didn't know any better. So I was just like, yep, this sounds right to me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what's, yeah, I, exactly what we've talked about. It's it's tough. Doesn't really matter. But I, yeah, I think for me, I land on a little more of like the disappointing side, which could be rectified if in a couple years, um, yeah, who knows how long the show will go on for. Um, but maybe there'll be another movie that is a little more, I, from what I, it's been a while since I've seen the Simpsons movie, but from what I remember, and I think Dave, we talked a little bit about this off, off air, uh, that movie does a really good job of bringing in a lot of the ensemble of Springfield. So maybe these mm-hmm. problem, this problem will be rectified if there's a sequel movie in a couple of years that is a little more the town versus something rather than the Belcher family versus something. But the Simpsons did also have the benefit of like, 20 years of like over 20 years of establishing that like this isn't necessarily just about this family it's about a town uh Mm -hmm. which bob's burgess has always also been about but like at the same time you know in in, it's 13 years or 12 years as opposed to you know what are we on like 35 episodes or seasons of the simpsons so like it's not the same depth you need to be able to bring in people that are distanced from it uh as far as a pop culture staple so Mm -hmm. uh I think regardless, it sticks to landing. I think this is a criticism I have only as a big fan. And I would suggest that if you're a big fan, don't take that criticism to mean you shouldn't watch it. I, I think it's still worth your time. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a minor criticism. And that was one of kind of my core questions is, does this movie pay off for the fans? And Dave, I would agree. I think it wholeheartedly pays off for the fans. Very, you know, and these, these criticisms we brought up at the end of the day, I think are pretty minor. Uh, at the end of the day, I think this is a really fantastic, just animated comedy, and then a really fantastic show to movie adaptation. I, guess, I don't know if adaptation is the right word, but transition. I think it really is a home run on so many levels with a few, I think, minor criticisms is where I fall on it. Any other final thoughts on the Bob's Burgers movie? One little note, and I, I, you know, I hate to bring everything back to The Simpsons all the time, but that's just because... I don't know. It's you. It's got, it's got to be 55% of my brain is The Simpsons. But one thing that I think this show, uh, the spirit of the show, this movie, um, Bob's Burgers in general handles better than The Simpsons is uh, like progressive criticism. I think that The Simpsons, um, you know, is a fantastic show, but it has some cultural blind spots, not the least of which as uh, has been addressed in the film, The Problem with Apu, is that, you know, several of these characters, especially Apu Nahasa Pima Pentalon, the Indian owner of uh, the Quickie Mart in The Simpsons is played by Hank Azaria and always has been a white actor. One thing that I really appreciate about Bob's Burgers is them taking the time to correct those issues. Uh, In this movie, a, a very like minor character, Olson Brenner, who is a TV reporter, uh, was originally voiced by voice actor Pamela Adlon, who I adore. She's great, but is a white actress playing a black character, uh, but has now been replaced by Nicole Byer, which is is cool. I mean, that's 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 the way to handle these kind of issues, because like I think The Simpsons has sort of sidestepped those things. I think a lot of series have sidestepped those things of saying like, OK, this character has been criticized for uh, being a character of color who is voiced by a white actor. We're going to not deal with this character anymore. Even if, like, 
albeit voiced by a white actor, it illuminated a culture in an interesting way. It, the wrong way, but in a way that illuminates it. And instead of continuing to do that with someone who would be better suited to roll, they just drop it all together, like a hot potato. This show doesn't do that. This show makes the change and continues exploring those characters, uh, but through a more appropriate lens, which is way more thoughtful. And I think uh, it's the strength of Bob's Burgers, too. It's a really inclusive show. It's very self-aware. Uh, it is willing to make those kind of changes. And I think that that makes for a better show, uh, not only in terms of the payoff, but uh, you know, just as far as um, um, its moral uh, stance within a complicated industry. And I think the fact that it's a network show, like a show on Fox, like that's, I think, also even more impressive because I feel like, I mean, things are changing now, but back in the day, I feel like things like this would not have happened on network TV. You would have had to go to more premium or cable channels for things mm-hmm. like that. And so I think that's just all to Bosberger's credit that, you know, throughout since 2011, it's been, I think, making a lot of strides and waves. And ultimately, it's a show about love. I watched a great video. I think Nerdstalgic is the channel. It's like, is Bosberger's the best sitcom dad? Like, period. Animated live action. Um, since he always operates from, like, a place of love and understanding and not being a buffoon kind of honeymooners in his DNA. Not to go down that rabbit hole, but Bob, you know, I think Bob's a great character. I think all the characters are really stellar in this movie. Gives the core cast a lot of time to shine. Yeah, and that the, the sort of like the general through line of the series is one that this is a series that, unlike any other animated series I've seen, radiates acceptance, mm-hmm. which is a very cool thing to make a conscious tentpole theme of your series. Well, I think that's a great note to end our discussion on the Bob's Burgers movie on. Um, thank you so much, Sam and Dave, for your insightful and thoughtful comments. I'm really happy I got to talk about this movie. Uh, it's always fun to talk about newer movies as well. Uh, we don't get to do that all the time. For a while, there weren't any new movies, so we couldn't. <laughs> uh, but it's great. I'm really happy to be talking about the Buzz Burgers movie, a new release, and a movie that I saw twice in theaters. And so be sure to tune in over the following two weeks to hear Sam and Dave's pick for what films they saw twice or maybe more in theaters we're gonna do yeah we're gonna do fury road again because i saw it seven times in theaters. we probably could do a whole nother episode on fury road i wouldn't mind another crack at it but it won't be that i <laughs> uh, want to give a big shout out to the movie john podcast network uh we love our podcast network family there's so many great shows on there be sure to check out the movie john podcast network uh, you can find us on our emails at butter with that podcast at gmail.com have you seen movies multiple times in theaters? Uh, one movie that I saw was Inception, but I wasn't going to pick that one because you already talked about it. So you guys were lucky that Sam picked Inception before so we could talk about the Bob's Burgers movie. Uh, well, so be sure to let us know what films you saw in theaters multiple times. Facebook, Instagram, Butter With That, Twitter, Butter With That. One, uh, any closing comments before we sign off? Yeah. Uh, shout out to Christine, wherever you may be. Mm-hmm. We love you. We miss you. I wish I knew where you were. Um, someday. It's so mysterious. It is. She is a mysterious person. Yeah, if you've made it to the end of this episode, generally we know where Christine is in the world or where each other are and we just make jokes about not knowing. But this time, yeah, best wishes to Christine. I'm sure she'll be back. Back. Uh, we'll hear from her soon enough. Well, without further ado, Have a good whatever. We'll see you next week for another Movies We've Seen Multiple Times in Theaters pick. Have a good whatever.
this has been 